Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about the latest news on loan repurchases and what's happening with mortgage-backed securities. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Christina Bennett, Senior Vice President of UWM Sales, about a career in the wholesale channel. Christina, becoming a broker can seem daunting. What advice do you have for those looking to join the channel? Honestly, Sarah, becoming an independent mortgage broker is very easy. There's a lot of resources out there to be able to help people, whether looking to join an independent mortgage broker or become an independent mortgage broker. They can go to beamortgagebroker.com. We have step-by-step plans of how to become an independent mortgage broker. Or like I said, even if you're just looking to join an independent mortgage broker, it's very easy, it's very fast and efficient. And like we all know, it's best for consumers. Thanks, Christina. And listeners, you can go to beamortgagebroker.com to get more information. Okay, well, let's dig in. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be back, Sarah. Great to have you back. And we have a really important topic today, which is about loan repurchases. It was all the talk at the MBA uh, secondary conference, understandably, and also we're hearing from just a lot of people in, in the industry. So um, tell you know, let's dive in there. Where would you start? Yeah, so there there is a concern among independent mortgage banks that Fannie and Freddie are being too aggressive in pursuing the repurchase option on loans with relatively minor underwriting defects that could be cured in, instead of having to go to this sort of extreme draconian buyback demand. So the MBA and there are other trade groups as well that are, are in discussions with the agencies and saying, look, guys, this is not the time to be, you know, breaking our balls over relatively minor things. And uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of the details on this, but these are loans originated in 2020 and 2021. This is not something that occurred a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago. This is related to a review from the agencies of uh, loans that were originated during the pandemic. And you may remember that a lot of mortgage originators were caught pretty flat-footed when the pandemic hit in uh, officially in March of 2020. Really, only a couple of them were really ready to go. It's, it's one of the reasons that Rocket Mortgage did such an incredible job of lapping up refi volume in 2020. I mean, it was like double the next highest lender, triple some, some crazy, crazy number. Um, and um, and and you know that capacity didn't really hit until the following year. And even then, in 2021, you know, depending on who you were, some lenders never really fully staffed out pretty important departments such as underwriting and uh, processing where you start to see some of those errors come up. Um, so it's, what's interesting about all of this is essentially the way it works is the agencies have up to 36 months, so three years from the date of the origination to demand that the lender buy back that loan. And so they're they're still working through the 2021 loans, according to sources of ours. And from the GSE's perspective, there's money to be recouped in sending back loans to the originator for repurchase. And they've been very, very aggressive about it. Um, and, you know, some people are saying, look, again, these are really minor loans. 
I don't know that you need to take this approach right now. And it affects a lot of the independent mortgage banks, but especially the smaller and the midsize IMBs. They're in a much tougher position. And that's really because they don't have good options for dealing with 2020, 2021 vintage loans that they end up repurchasing from the agencies. You may remember these mortgages, which by the way, they're performing. These are not non-performing loans. They're not re-performing. They are, people are making their payments on all of these mortgages for the most part. You know, it's, it's got a minuscule delinquency rate here. These are mortgages that were originated in like the mid twos, you know, around 3%, probably lower. And if you look today at our mortgage rate center, you know what the number is? We're in the sevens. We're at 7.1% today. And so depending on the lender, you're at what a four and a half point hit right there. And so most small and even mid-sized independent mortgage banks don't have the ability to hold repurchase loans on their balance sheets. That's not how they're structured. It's not how they're set up. And so what that means is they need to take those loans and they need to bring them to the whole loan market to sell them. And when they do that, they're going to be taking a really big haircut. They're going to be 20, 30 points underwater. And so again, if you're a smaller and mid-sized lender, you just don't have a lot of capital because again, that's not how these businesses are really built. Um, it's really bad news when you combine it with the other headwinds out there, the low volume coming out of the mortgage industry right now. You know, No one's hitting the volume levels that they were even this time last year. And so you know, we, we have, it's kind of a one-two punch for a lot of the originators and especially the little guys, the mid-sized guys who are already really struggling and figuring out, you know, what their runway looks like um, because it's, it's a pretty tough environment. So I think that one of the most important things is what you said is that these aren't loans that are failing right now. I mean, so these are people who, whatever the defects were on, you know, maybe, you know, it, the income was a little bit off, maybe the appraisal was off, but at this point, these are performing loans and, and it's not like, oh, there's a problem right now. Now, obviously, if someone, you know, if it's fraud, you can understand that. But if this is like an appraisal was off, it's like it, it does. How does that matter now that the the person, you know, the loan is doing fine. This person's paying for that loan. And you know what I mean? I, I just don't understand why they're picking the things they're picking. Sure. And, and the agencies, they're not demanding every single loan is bought back. You know, your, your mileage will vary here, but a few of the experts uh, who have been in the trenches dealing with this issue day in and day out told uh, senior mortgage reporter Bill Conroy, and, and I also heard this at the NBA secondary conference, that anywhere between like 50 and 60% of the agency loan repurchase requests end up resulting in the lender actually having to repurchase a loan. And each case is unique. For the most part, when Fannie and Freddie are performing these reviews, they're finding issues related to borrower income, appraisals, missing documentation, employment verification, uh, or, or undisclosed liabilities. Like, for example, when someone takes out a car loan the day before they close in a mortgage, incredibly stupid, but it does happen, of course, right? Uh, but by far and away, the two biggest issues that cause these repurchase requests to be made are related to DTI being too high. So income, right? And then also the appraisals. The appraisal matters probably a lot less. You know, you could argue, you could definitely make the argument now that the DTI, unless it has changed, you know, over whatever the, the course of time might be, two years, three years, whatever, um, that could be relevant. And 
at the end of the day, the lenders and the trade groups look at this and say, we just don't understand why you're being so aggressive about this now. We rose to the occasion in 2020 and 2021, and now you're coming back and making our lives hell over pretty minor stuff. And so I, I spoke to a couple folks at the NBA secondary conference in New York this week, and one of them said, look, if you scrutinize any loan long enough, you'll probably find a minor defect somewhere, you know? And um, and so the issue here is when when the agencies are going for the full repurchase there are other steps that could be taken to cure the defects and save everybody time and money, but in a lot of cases, they're not doing that. And the numbers kind of bear this out. You know, Fannie and Freddie combined uh, issued about six and a half billion in repurchase demands to sellers and servicers over a 24 month period that ended um, in in March, and that is historically pretty high. That is aggressive, and they're still working through some of those loans. For 2021, I think the upshot, as I mentioned here earlier, is that the lenders arguably had maybe too much capacity in 2022. And so hopefully those loans had higher underwriting quality and the repurchase requests would be a lot lower. For, for their part, you know, the GSEs are like, um, you know, these these loans were never eligible. And so, you know, they have the right to ask for a repurchase. But I, I think what, what we're seeing is like, you know, the lenders would like to see some, like you said, you don't have to go to the draconian. So even if these weren't eligible, and, and I, I guess that points to the quality assurance failure on the lender's part, you know, during this part. And, and you and I talked about the fact that, you know, in 2021, I mean, they were trying to throw bodies at this problem and maybe not all those bodies were very well trained or, you know, they just had too much capacity. So um, it, it's not like there is no issue here, but the issue is, do you have to go to the extreme for these loans? Yeah. And this, of course, was a topic of discussion at the MBA secondary conference, probably the biggest one that I heard aside from uh, what happens with, with the MBS market, um, given you know changes with the Fed and, and some of the, the depository banks and their positions. Um, but but the, the, I mean, this was absolutely top billing. And so there were a lot of questions directed at some fairly high level folks that appeared at the conference from Fannie and Freddie. And they appear to be taking kind of different approaches to this. If you hear from Fannie, they'll tell you, we haven't done anything different. We are following our bylaws. We are doing everything by the book. And this is an issue of economics. This isn't an issue of policymaking. This isn't an issue of enforcement in, in kind of a pure sense. Um, and then you talk to Freddie, and I think they take a little bit of a different tone, which is, we are looking to engage very actively with the affected lenders and we want to find a conclusion. It, it seems a little bit more, um, you know, extending a hand than look, <laughs> you, you wrote a bad loan and you just, you just have to deal with whatever happens after that. Um, I think there's probably going to be some change here. I don't think Fannie and Freddie would have engaged uh, in in the manner that they did at MBA Secondary if they weren't working on some sort of more kind of codified response uh, to this, you know, issue. And it is an issue. You know, it's it's not like Fannie and Freddie are making a ton of money when they're forcing lenders to, you know, repurchase that loan and then sell it in the whole the whole loan market. I mean, we're we're not seeing them clear like a billion dollars per quarter because they're forcing lenders to do this. Um, it's a relatively small amount of money that the GSEs are recouping, so to speak. 
but it is money and the GSEs like um, any, any entity under conservatorship need, um, you know, they, they need some capital. They need the ability to, to kind of make decisions on their own. I don't know how much influence the FHFA has over, um, you know, enforcing this policy or what steps they take to, uh, you know, work with the lenders and more of kind of a, you know, Hey man, how's it going? Like, can we sort this out without resorting to an appeals process or whatever? Uh, I, I think it's still a little early to say, uh, but but definitely some of the lenders who are in the crosshairs are not going to make it, uh, and and that's part of the issue here. Bill reported yesterday that this policy, the enforcement of this policy does have some impact on mergers and acquisitions for IMBs. So if you are a small, medium IMB and you are looking to sell Fannie Mae, according to sources of bills, said you're basically going to have to take on whatever uh, you know defects we find in that uh, you know review process. And and so that threatens whether these MA deals are, are able to uh, actually close, right? If, if Fannie is saying you need to backstop the rep and warranty liabilities for all loans originated by the selling entity over a three-year period before a deal closes, I think a lot of uh, companies are going to say, you know what, that's too much risk and not enough reward. And we're going to see, you know, Definitely a, a cool down. Not that the M&A sector has exactly been booming, despite uh, a lot of companies being in, in difficult positions. But I, I think that would chill a lot of. It, it would just mean that companies end up declaring bankruptcy and, and you know going through that process. By the way, it's not easy to just close a mortgage company. Like you, you still have to be cognizant of. You know the the uh, the loans that you did originate, and you can still be uh, taken to court over quite a few different matters. It's it's not like you just you know end business and decide not to pay your LLC registration fee in the state the next year, right? I mean, it, it does have kind of a long tail, and there are a couple different ways to acquire a company, and you know there are um, this this does make it less likely that um, you know we're going to see anything aside from asset only deals. I think the thing to me is that, you know, um, the FHFA and each of the GSEs, they have these charters, right. And they have, um, missions that they, that they need to accomplish. And one of, one of the missions is making sure that, um, there are enough alternatives, right. That, that consumers aren't harmed by, you know, that, that we're reaching consumers who need it. And you think about the IMBs take on the, um, majority, the, the heavy lifting for mortgage lending, why do you want to make it harder if you don't have to? Of course, enforcement's important. And, you know, any of these, you know, if there are egregious, you know, violations of the rep and warranty, I understand that. But at the same time, you go, isn't part of your mission also to make sure that there is enough competition out there that you're not needlessly putting people out of business at a time when it's already super hard? Yeah. And one potential reason we might be seeing this approach is because, it's a simpler, more brutal approach, and it requires a little bit less work after you know review is taken, right? I mean, you probably need more people, you need more approvals, 
the staffing levels in Fannie and Freddie are down from where they were historically, right? And so maybe they don't have enough bodies to really engage in sort of an, you know, an individual um, assessment of whether the loan really needs to be repurchased or whether there's a cure that's maybe simpler if they get just a couple people in the room. There are a lot of loans to review, right? So it could just be the blunt objects won out because, there were other limitations, you know, with, with staffing or maybe, you know, the legal structure that they're operating within. I, I don't know. Um, you might imagine that Fannie and Freddie are not like super excited to talk openly about these issues. Uh, and so we, we don't have as much insight as we would like. Um, but I, I definitely get the sense that, you know, Freddie is a little bit more willing to work with the lenders on on this issue than Fannie. But maybe that will change. This This is a pretty fluid situation. This is. And, um, you know, it just, it's terrible for everyone that we're back in the, you know, 7% range for mortgages today. I mean, that's not good for anyone, but especially if, if you're looking at this kind of uh, repurchase risk, it's just got to be brutal. Yeah. I mean, again, you're, you're taking a 30% hit on it and some maybe a little bit less, but but 30 is the number that some of the trade associations have said is is really what these IMBs are facing when they do have to buy that loan back. And uh, there's just, there's not a huge market right now for, even though these, these are good loans, we're not talking like these are a scratch and dent or there is, there is any sort of problem with, you know, anything but a couple very minor cures. Um, but it does cost a lot of money when you have to go through that process again. And it also means that they're pulling staff or maybe they need, you know, dedicated staff to work on this problem that maybe hadn't had as much experience dealing with this. And um, I I definitely sense a lot of frustration and there there are a lot of lenders out there who feel like interacting with the agencies is kind of a one-way street and they don't have any leverage. They don't have any recourse and they have to hope that the trade organizations like the MBA and CHLA make enough noise and that the agencies feel like (laughs) this, this can't be the only approach to, to going at it, you know, but it's it's a these are complicated relationships because they're both partners, but they're almost quasi like Fannie and Freddie in a sense are almost quasi regulators themselves, despite also being under the thumb of uh, you know a federal agency, a proper regulator in a true sense, um, one that some people in the industry believe has become a little bit more political. Um, not that that's a new thing, right? I mean, people made these complaints during uh, the previous era under under. President Trump as well. So it's it's a, a complicated situation. I don't think anyone's particularly happy about it. I'm I, I would bet that Fannie and Freddie would much rather be working on other programs or projects, you know, working to to modernize some of their systems and 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 you know focus more on origination and then uh, you know finding investor pools and coming up with new um, you know new securitization. Uh, methods. It, this is probably not where they want to be spending a lot of their capital either, their human capital, that is. Well, James, um, there's other topics that were um, very popular at the uh, secondary conference. And, you know, one of them is the shifting MBS market. Lots of talk about that. Um, we had coverage on that as well. Um, what should our listeners know? Yeah. So I, I think what's interesting here is this is a dynamic market that is shifting as you mentioned. And so we have two different really big factors here. The first, of course, 
The major one is the Federal Reserve's monetary tightening policy, but we also have the impacts of the recent banking crisis. And I think they really have the potential to change how the MBS market moves more than a lot of other um, factors we've seen over you know, really the last decade or two. And and so for those who are not as versed in, in the MBS market, uh, pretty technical, a lot of numbers there, uh, really a lot of a lot of the strength of that market comes from the Fed and from big depository banks, and they've really um, been key asset holders since the great financial crisis. And they're not likely to play as big a role in the future as they maybe had, you know, over the last 15-ish years, right? And so, the market was dominated by investment portfolios looking for, you know, the risk and return of the MBS assets. And then these new regulations encouraged the banks to hold liquid assets, including MBS. And so we're starting to see changes in the spreads. And so the return of the market to marginal pricing by the portfolios that are really just to make money is a different position than what we've seen from just the banks that hold it because they need to keep their liquidity levels at a certain rate. And then also the Federal Reserve, which holds it for different reasons. And that tension right now, along with the volatility in the banking sector, especially the regional banking sector, is creating kind of a a challenging moment right now. Um, but there are still really good fundamentals here. So on the buy side, you know what we're looking at now is just we're seeing that the levered returns are really attractive, and so there's a lot of demand for the income from MBS, and so it's going to remain remain really attractive to money managers. And you know the government is still involved, of course, with the 30-year mortgage. It is you look at our mortgage programs versus that of most of the world, and you know it's very different. In a lot of ways, the federal government here in, in the States has made a choice to subsidize homeownership. That is a macro policy priority. And so I, I think that does help sustain uh, the mortgage-backed security side of the business pretty well. On the seller side, affordability is still an issue, and we're going to be witnessing a decline in originations, which means that there's going to be a lower level of supply of MBS, right? And so... If you look at the MBA estimates, we were at the $4 trillion level in 2020 and 2021. They're projecting about $1.8 trillion, a little less than that this year. I think it's going to be even lower personally. I think it's going to be closer to $1.5. And um, there are a bunch of other um, people who know a lot more about this stuff than I do who also think it's going to be around that range. But the point is we're looking at you know less than half the volume that we had seen previous and so we're also faced with the fact that the mortgage rates are really high right now. And there are a lot of people that have low mortgages from the pandemic and they're just sort of stuck. You know, I, I referenced last week, um, my wife's cousin, Chris, he's in a townhouse in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. He bought it during the pandemic. His mortgage rate is just under 3%. He, they want to start a family. They want to think about, uh, kind of that next step. And so you know, he wants to get a house, right? A nice suburban house with the white picket fence and the, you know, the nice front porch. Uh, but home prices in that area have jumped 
And even though he could rent his townhouse out for a profit, it wouldn't be enough to offset the costs. The affordability issue here is a real problem. And so that affects how many people, how many people are like my, my wife's cousin, Chris, that are just, they're going to sit there in that house, in that townhouse rather, for a couple of years until something changes. And so that means there's going to be a lot less net issuance in MBS over this year, probably over next year, even if rates do fall a bit. I don't think anyone thinks that we're going to be returning into the fours unless there's another crisis of sorts. And God, I really hope there isn't, uh, say, the debt ceiling or something, right? Um, but look, at Bank of America, they're forecasting about $268 billion in MBS net issuance. Last year, it was about double that at $535 billion. And you know, we're not seeing disruptions caused by these regional banks that held a huge amount of MBS and 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 kind of you know infamously bought them uh, <laughs> and didn't hedge properly. And so the FDIC decided in early April to sell the 114 billion in MBS that are retained after, of course, seizing control of Signature and Silicon Valley Bank. And they they tapped BlackRock to lead the sales process. And what they're doing is basically, you know, they're they're releasing that amount of MBS pretty slowly, pretty consistently communicating the market. Look, we're not going to flood the market. So we're still going to see deals. So the bigger disruption here is just, you know, there's just a lot of risk in general with these integrated global financial systems. And if there is another issue like the debt ceiling that could completely, uh, you know, kind of crush the egg, so to speak, these are good assets. Pricing is still a little bit low, but I think in a lot of cases, people expect the MBS market to be, relatively speaking, pretty healthy unless, you know, we're, we're going to have another crisis to, to deal with. So, so that's kind of in a nutshell what, what, what's happening in the MBS market at the moment, for agency at least. That was a great nutshell. That's a, it's a very, uh, you know, there's a lot of technical parts of that in the weeds. And uh, I thought you did a great job of wrapping it up for our audience. So thank you for that. Um, and let's, let's fingers crossed. There is no other crisis coming. We don't need another one. We need uh, both of the current. Well, maybe the dead ceiling. It's not, right. it's not looking great as we speak here on Thursday afternoon. It's not very promising, but hopefully it will work out. I, I actually, I love the idea of just minting the trillion dollar coin and um, there was a joke on, on Twitter or something where, like, imagine, like, the power move that Biden could pull if he just decides, you know, to, to find this giant, beautiful coin behind Kevin McCarthy's ear or something and, uh, you know, solve the problem in the most theatrical way possible. Listen, even better if he minted it into a ring and it would be like the ring of oh, power. It would wow. be like the trillion. That is power. I, I like that. That's good. <laughs> We could go into all sorts of things there. James, thanks so much. Thanks. Uh, great coverage of um, all of the things that we heard at the secondary conference and also just all the other things going on. So appreciate you and your news team. Cool. Thanks, Sarah. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Programs Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. 
A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.